It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The show goes on as usual next week, but we break in right now for some special programming here on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Not hosting a show for you today. I am teeing it up for our own staffer, Noah Berger, as he leads us into a new project of exclusive interviews with members of the Miami Marlins Major League Bullpen, one at a time getting to know these arms that come into critical situations and the very unorthodox paths that they took to become Marlins in the first place. Our first victim, as Noah likes to say, in this series, what a relief. We're going with Anthony Bass, setup man extraordinaire for the Marlins this season. This is his second year with the Marlins, and it's no secret that it got off to a rocky start in 2021, but for almost half of the year last year, and then flowing beautifully here into 2022, he has been the guy they thought they were getting from the beginning. You can make the case that 2022 has been a career year for Bass, even as somebody that has been around for over a decade at the highest level. A sub-2 ERA entering Thursday, only allowing one base runner per inning in 28 appearances overall. 97th percentile in Major League Baseball in chase rate. Great at limiting walks, great at missing the barrel. You can look at his StatCast page, and you could actually check out the YouTube version of this episode as well to see that itself. The transformation that Bass has made from 2021 to 2022 while still throwing the same pitches, having the same stuff, this has been 
he's been a real bright spot for this Marlins team this year. And he is just very honest and forthright about what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he's been through for the Marlins. So he set a high bar for the other relievers that we hope to have here on the podcast as the season goes on. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Again, this is hosted by Noah Berger. You know him well from our Fish Stripes live streams, but I believe this is his first time in a traditional podcast setting in what was essentially a one-on-one interview with me producing behind the scenes. Take a listen to Anthony Bass with Noah. Let us know what you think. Let us know who you want to hear from next in this series. What a relief. This is a start of a plan that we've had brewing for a few weeks now, and this, I believe, set really high expectations for what you can expect from this podcast series here on Fish Stripes. Thanks as always for listening. I'm back with the official show on Monday. In the meantime, check out this conversation between Noah Berger and Anthony Bass. Enjoy. Welcome to the debut episode of What a Relief on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. This is going to be the first of hopefully many exclusive interviews with members of the Miami Marlins bullpen and maybe other teams as the season goes on. I'm your host, Noah Berger. This being the first episode, I just want to take a moment to thank the Marlins organization for allowing me the access to, to players for interviews like this. And of course, the Fish Stripes for giving me this platform uh, for putting my crazy ideas into action. My first guest um, or my first victim um, is known to many of you for his masterclass in the seventh inning. Um, he's been around the league for many years. He was drafted back in 20, 2008 by the Padres. Mr. Anthony Bass, how are you doing today? Hey, Noah, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, looking forward to talking baseball, you know, the highs and the lows of, of everything that it brings. So thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on. Um, so you grew up in Dearborn, Michigan. You went to Trenton High School, um, mm-hmm. Wayne State University, the highest draft pick from Wayne State University. How much does that mean to you being like being the highest from your from your area? Yeah, um, it's definitely an honor to be to be drafted as high as I was. Um, at the time, um, when I was drafted, I was just so ecstatic, so excited to start my journey with the San Diego Padres in 2008. Um, the thought of being the highest drafted player from my college never even crossed my mind uh, until my, I think my college coach addressed that uh, topic later on. Um, but since that, that time uh, when I went to school, the programs really put themselves on the map which is great to see. They've uh, had quite a few guys uh, drafted into professional baseball and they've won quite a few conference championships and made some deep runs into the uh, 
the uh, playoffs there. Um, but uh, what an honor, right? Um, just very humbling to to be called, you know, the highest drafted player from from Wayne State. Yeah, and as I said, you've been around the league. I, that's not even doing it justice. You've been around the world. You started out with the Padres, then the Astros, the Rangers, the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters in Japan, where you won the Japan Series championship with, I think, Shohei Otani. Is that correct? He was on your team? That's correct, yes. I, I got a chance to play alongside, uh, in my opinion, the greatest player I've ever played with. It is in there! A career-high 13 strikeouts for Shohei Otani! Could you tell back then that he was going to be as special as he has become? Yes, no question about it. He was 21 years old when I played with him in 2016, and I always call him the 10-tool player. Uh, literally, he's got everything on every side of the, of the game. And when I saw him play, um, he just, I mean, there's a reason why so many people would come to the game just to watch him play. And even being his teammate, uh, I almost, I just kind of became a fan of, of just watching him play. Uh, and when you're, when you're in it during the course of a season, sometimes you kind of forget um, how special this person is uh, until you kind of take a step back and you look at what he was accomplishing at that time. Yeah. And I recall from when you guys went to Los Angeles, uh, you have a Jersey of his and you got it signed by him. What was that? What was that interaction like? Yeah. So um, I reached out to the uh, team that we played for the fighters and this was actually in the off. Because I, I saw our schedule and I saw that we were going to the Angels early in the season. So I, I bought the same jersey we wore when we won the championship in Japan. I bought his. Um, and they, they shipped it to me, mailed it to me in time for that series. And uh, I sent it on over to their side. I had the clubby send it on over to his side and I had a note on it saying, uh, hey, Sho- Shohei, can you sign this jersey for me? Can you personalize it to Anthony? And then include the 2016 Japan Series champions on it. And then he signed it, which I think is such a cool piece of, uh, obviously, memorabilia for myself. It, it's very special to me because uh, we got a chance to share the same field together uh, over in Japan. And, and to win a championship together uh, was pretty special. Um, and then afterwards, we, we communicated in the outfield the next day. Um, it was good to catch up with him. Um, his English is getting much better. When I played with him, he knew no English. So that's good to see. Uh, he's just a big kid, um, always always smiling, always happy. Obviously, it's easy to be happy and smiley when uh, you're blessed with those kind of skills, but he also puts in the work. Um, so it's great to see him have the career he's having over here. All right. So then after you went to Japan, you came back to the United States. You were with the Rangers then the Cubs and the Mariners. And the Blue Jays in 2020, what was mm-hmm. that COVID season like as a, as, a, as a player in the major leagues? What was that like? It was an eerie feeling playing in front of a fake noise, uh, fake crowd noise for the first time. But you know what? It did, it did kind of help when you're on the field and you hear like that, that white noise from the, the crowd um, versus when you don't hear it. So it was nice that they implemented that, but uh, not to play in front of fans, especially at the major league level, was was weird. Um, 
for the first few games, then you kind of just kind of got used to it. Um, you could really hear the other dugout of what they're saying a lot more clear than uh, with fans in the stands. So uh, I always made sure I, I was listening to see if I can pick anything up that they're saying. So after the Blue Jays, you were signed by the Marlins. Uh, you've got you've got a two year contract here. Um, mm-hmm. Seems if you've kind of settled down here a little bit uh, during the on season, you go back home for the off season. Yes, I do. Um, of course, I, if you if you follow Anthony on Instagram, you'll see um, pictures of his family. He, um, what's it like balancing family life with two? I think you have two kids. Yeah, I have two little girls, uh, Brooklyn and Blair. They're four and 19 months now. Um, I, I always call it like a healthy distraction from baseball. You know, having a tough game, it's it's uh, easy to um, your mind to start racing and replaying that outing in your head over and over again, trying to make adjustments and, and doubting yourself. Um, and then when you come home and you have them waiting for you to play and they could care less, you know, what you did on the field or, or let alone even realize um, that you had a tough game. It, um, it really just helps my mind just to get away from baseball. Uh, and I always call it a healthy distraction. So um, it's been great having uh, Brooklyn and Blair and obviously my wife, Sydney, uh, along for the, the ride with me. It makes the season uh, go by faster, I think. <laughs> it is a very long and grueling season. Um, you started out your career as a starting pitcher. Um, I think it was in 2012 you made 15 starts at the major league level. Mm-hmm. What? When did you s- s- kind of transition into the more of a reliever role, and what what kind of made made you do that? Like, was it a coach that made the decision? Did you kind of get the feeling that you'd be better suited for a reliever role? Was it analytics? Um, So the next year, so the last year I I made a start in the major leagues, I think it was 2013. I could be wrong. I don't even know if I made it. You you had one start in 2021, but I think it was as an opener. Yeah. Um, It was earlier in my career. Um, It was the inconsistency out of the rotation. I would have, you know, good games or I would have really bad games. Uh, there was really no in-between. So I think they saw that. They saw they saw my fastball. They saw my breaking ball. And they, they felt like I was a two-pitch pitcher that could have success in the bullpen. And when I say they, I mean, I think the Padres did initially. And then um, I kind of made that transformation in the big leagues from starting to relieving. Um, actually, my first year in 2011 when I got called up, uh, I made a spot start for Dustin Mosley uh, at Coors Field. Went well. Got called up two weeks later. And then I think they put me in the bullpen as like the long man. So I was learning to relieve in the big leagues, which was not easy by any means. Um, but I knew if I wanted to stay, I had to figure it out. And I, I would uh, kind of watch how um, the veterans in the bullpen went about, went about their business. Uh, when I say veterans, uh, I was around, um, you know, former Marlin great Heath Bell. He was in my bullpen. Um, Mike Adams and Luke Gregerson. Those three were the seven, eight, nine guys at the time for San Diego. And they all had great careers in San Diego. Um, so it was, it was cool to see them <clears throat> prepare and, uh, it kind of helped me create a, a good game plan and, and how to get ready right away in the big leagues, watching them. Was there at any point along the way, a specific coach or manager that 
you really connected with and you still like go back to and are like, wow, this, this person really affected my life in a positive way. Like, is there any, uh, even now, is there any coach or manager that mm-hmm. specifically you gravitate towards as like someone that helps you better your game and, and stay focused? Yeah, I would say like my first pitching coach in professional baseball in the minor leagues, his name's Dave Rasich. Um, he saw me from day one. So out of all the pitching coaches I've had, which I've had a lot of really good ones, uh, I kind of tend to go back to him because he had me from day one in pro ball. Um, I still stay in contact with him and um, he had a nice little career. He played, I think, for three or four years in the major leagues. Um, and uh, he just always kind of, would say the right things and kind of know how to dissect um, my delivery and uh, my mindset on the mound. So uh, he's one of the coaches in, in pro ball that um, had a huge impact on my career. Um, on you mentioned, you mentioned your delivery, you have a distinctive like high leg kick when you go to deliver. When did you start with that leg kick? Did, did you purposefully start with the leg kick or it mm-hmm. just came naturally. I think you posted a picture once of you when you were much younger in that same leg kick position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad taught me how to pitch. My dad never played um, college baseball. He, I think he played up to junior high or junior varsity in, in high school. My dad did. And he saw that I had a passion for baseball early on in my life. So he bought Nolan Ryan's pitching Bible book and Leo Mazzoni's pitching book. And I know that Nolan Ryan had a good big leg kick when he pitched. So I think um, that's kind of stemmed from Nolan Ryan's uh, leg kick. And and that's how I was taught at a young age from my dad from reading his book. That's actually kind of interesting. I did. I was trying to think of other pitches with a high leg kick and you always grab it. It's always Nolan Ryan is the first pitcher you think of with a high leg kick. Unless you're a Marlins fan, of course, Dontrell Willis is always with the leg yeah. kick. The deep um, um, Was there ever like going back on the, the question about coaches and managers, was mm-hmm. there ever like a, 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 pl- a fellow player that over the years you've become like really connected with even now, like, that you always have stayed in touch with that's really impacted your game? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I've, I've played, obviously, alongside some really talented players, and I stay in contact with, with a few of them, not, not, a, not many of them. Um, you know, life kind of just takes you into different passes as you go on in this, in this game, and especially when you go to different teams, you kind of – your new team is kind of your new family. So you, you kind of uh, lose touch with some of your friends that you play with, but um, any kind of mentors that I, that I go back to in baseball, um, not no one that really stands out. Uh, there's one person that uh, I like to stay in contact with because I think he's a tremendous relief pitcher and I try to uh, replicate his success a lot. And that's um, Ken Giles. He's with the Seattle Mariners. I got a chance to play with him with the blue Jays in 2020. And, uh, from time to time I'll watch his, um, highlights on YouTube. Um, because when we were in Toronto together, our catcher said that our, our sliders and our fastballs, even though he throws hundred miles an hour, look very similar. 
um, the way that they come out of our hands, the break of the slider, they're very much a lot of depth to it. It's hard to go straight down. And then you got a hoppy fastball to, to go along with it. So um, he's one guy that, um, you know, I've stayed in contact with. I'm really happy he's back now with Seattle uh, pitching after two years um, being away from the game because of Tommy John. Uh, it's great to kind of see him uh, back in, in the big leagues. Um, now, going into more recent um, Anthony Bass history, he came over to Miami. I don't want to say it got off to a shaky start, but no, you can. I did. It. It. What's What's that? What's going through that kind of stretch like? <clears throat> yeah, I put a lot of pressure on myself when I signed here. I expected to pitch the back end of the game, and when I wasn't doing my job, I was really beating myself up mentally and trying to get back to what I was doing with the Blue Jays the year before. Um, I, had a, I had a clear mind with the Blue Jays. I was making better pitches, I think, in the ninth inning. Last year, um, I let the the moment the ninth inning kind of speed up with me, and I wasn't able to bear down and, and locate pitches where I wanted wanted to right away. Um, and I also think I had some, some mechanical like timing um, issues right away last season that wasn't helping me command the baseball. So Mel Stoudemire, he, he recognized that and, and we worked together um, to create um, better momentum, better timing to the plate so that my arms working in unison with the rest of my body and that I'm able to uh, essentially command the baseball where I want to. And I wasn't doing that uh, right away last season, which was really, uh, really tough on me. Yeah, it, it the the first half and second half of that season for you were, if you look at the stats, were pretty much night and day. But the second half of the season, you were arguably one of the better pitchers on on the stat on in the Marlins bullpen. And this season, I don't I for fear of jinxing you at all because Tanner Scott's already mad at me for what happened in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been pitching pretty well this season. Is yeah. it? Is it a mindset change? Did you change something mechanically over the off season? Because it's a completely different uh, outcomes now. Yeah, I think um, this season is is what the Marlins fans should expect of me. This is what I expect of myself when when the team signed me. Um, like I said last year, I was in a funk. Uh, my delivery was off. Uh, early on and I knew I needed to make adjustments. It's not like I I'm throwing harder or adding a new pitch. Everything's the same. Uh, I'm locating the ball in the strike zone where I want much more consistently this year. And I'm also filling up the strike zone um, more this year than last year. So that combination of location and throwing more strikes is going to lead to success. Um, And my mentality when I come into the game is, is literally strike one. Whatever pitch that is, get ahead. Put the pressure on the hitter right away. Um, I think I'm in a good mental place as well. So those three things, location, um, strike one mentality, and I've got good timing, rhythm to the plate in my delivery, I think have all attributed to um, the success I've had to this point. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And quite successful it has been. I don't know if we want to pull up the, the stat cast. The, uh, the last year, pretty much all of the, uh, every single percentile for you was not in the best spot. And this year you are red across the board and yeah. it's been great to have as a, as a fan and someone that watches this team, it's great to have somebody you can trust in the later innings. Um, what there are a lot of uh, baseball is a crazy game. There are a lot of randomness happens when a weird play happens, like a ball gets knocked down weirdly or thrown away or a player sticks their arm into the, into the strike zone and gets hit by a pitch with the bases loaded um, to win a baseball game in New York. What's that like going, how, how do you keep yourself from not like absolutely freaking out during that kind of moment? Well, it was frustrating, right? Because I, I made my pitch. I had Conforto, and I know that's who you're referring to. I had him uh, frozen. He wasn't expecting a, a slider up and in. And he got beat. And the only way he was able to get out of that bat is if he got hit by a pitch. So he stuck out his big elbow guard and was able to, you know, get hit by pitch. Um, and the home plate umpire, Ron Colpo, was about to ring him up, right? One, two coming. And the slider in there, strike three. Hit him. Hit him. Hit him. On the pitch. And hit him. Hit him. Hit him. Hit him. Oh. It hit Conforto. He made no effort to get out of the way. It was a strike, but he didn't move. And Don Mattingly is going to come out and argue the call with the home plate umpire, Ron Culpa. Ron Copley even said after the game that he made the wrong call. Yeah, which is good to hear. I'm, I, I like when umpires, when, you know, made a mistake, right? So that's all you can do. I mean, the, the moment's over with. He made the call. Um, you just kind of learn from it and, and you go from there. Um, it, but you know what? Those kind of things happen when, as a pitcher, things aren't going well. Like, like those crazy walk-off hit-by-pitches happen, those those blooper hits find holes. Um, it just kind of all – it's crazy how the baseball gods work in that sense. When things aren't going well, it seems like everything falls and everything goes the t- other team's way. So I knew I was in a rut right there, but I knew I was going to get out of it. Um, I just had to work with Mel and, and uh, get right, and I did. Uh, you know, in the second half, I had a much better year. Yeah. So 
pitching out of the bullpen, you guys are out there for hopefully six or seven innings, not doing much. What kind of conversations go on there? Keeping it PG and not getting anybody else in trouble. <laughs> what kind of stuff goes on out there? Um, you know, we'll talk about our previous outings a lot. Um, you know, especially if it was a tough one, we have the iPads down there so we can go back and look at the previous day and we can help, you know, each other out, pick each other's brains on things that, that I saw that maybe my teammate didn't see that could help him make an adjustment, um, to get back, you know, putting up zeros on the board, you know, that's our job. So we, we talk about that. Um, we talk about pretty much anything or everything in life uh we've got we've got the club out in the outfield the loud music all right uh, recess sports lounge it's pretty entertaining to to see the people you know in there um so we're, you know we're looking at them talking about them and it, it's all it's all good it's anything to kind of ease your mind keep you relaxed is a really good thing uh everyone knows kind of when to start getting ready down in the bullpen so in my situation, I know I'm probably pitching anywhere from maybe the sixth inning to the end of the game. So I'll start moving around around the fifth inning and, and warming up my body um, to get ready to, uh, you know, go out there and compete. So uh, everyone kind of has their routine in the bullpen to when they know they need to get ready. Um, but leading up to that point, it's very much um, very laid back, uh, very re relaxed. Um, I think that's that's really important as a reliever not to uh, be so tense all the time because we already have enough pressure. It is when we come in the game with runners in scoring position and no, no, nobody out, right. You got to bear down and make pitches. So we like to, um, we like to keep things relaxed. Yeah. And eat every ballpark of course is different. Um, over the years, I, I think, have you visited every single major league ballpark? I've played at every ballpark except the new Rangers stadium. I played which, at the old one. The, which you, you will be visiting the, the new Rangers stadium this season, I think. Or are they I coming here? Come to us, yeah. We don't go uh, there. They're coming here. Yeah. Um, over the year. years, over the years, as a visiting pitcher or as a pitching in your home ballpark, what's like, what's your ideal setup? for like the bullpen do you like when it's out on out exposed like in tampa bay do you like when it's completely enclosed do you like being closer to the fans where you can interact and and hear all the heckling or maybe grab someone else's popcorn yeah i, I enjoy being um not on the field i don't like being on the field i like having our own bullpen area out in the outfield beyond the fence uh having fan interactions good i like that um to a point, <laughs> uh, I know the fans in Philly, they're, they're pretty relentless and they, and they don't hold back uh, anything that they want to say towards us. So, um, and, they, and they put the, the, the visitors' bullpen closer to the fans there, which yeah, I will they, never understand. Used to have the home bullpen up top, right? And they, they were getting worn out by the fans. They're getting uh, criticized and they actually moved them further away down below so that they're a little bit more secluded <laughs> and they put the visitors up top so that we can get uh, harassed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what else do I have? 
What you got for me now? Uh, I have in my notes the Cervelli cigar. Oh, the, yeah. So what's the story with that? I, I don't really recall the full story, but I think it was you. He, 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 he hit something off of you. And then later on, what's the story there? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, when I was with the Blue Jays in the COVID year, um, probably my worst outing of the year came against the Marlins. And uh, he hit a game tying or go ahead three run home run off of me. Um, so I, I, when I saw him, um, in San Diego earlier this year, when he was, uh, working on, on their staff and he was hanging behind the batting cage, I thought it would be a, a good time to go up to him and, and mess with him about the home run he hit off me. So I said, Hey, you know, I gave, gave you that home run. Uh, I feel like I should get a peace offering for allowing you to do this. Me. He, he started laughing and I heard, I go, I heard you're a cigar guy and I like cigars too. So he said, I got you. Then went over uh, right after batting practice. So he did. He sent me over a nice cigar, and uh, we had a good laughs about the home run. But he was explaining to me why he hit the home run, and he said there was a there was a base open, um, and there was a left-handed hitter on the on deck. So he said, even though the count was three and one, maybe or three and zero. Oh, he said he knew I was going to give him a good fastball down the middle because he didn't want. To, he knew I didn't want to face the left-handed batter. So he said he he was waiting for the fastball and I uh, threw it and uh, he, he said he just put a good swing on it and the rest is is history. Um, so he said uh, that's why that's why he swung three zero or three one whatever it was because he knew I was going to challenge him and and not give him a free pass. So besides for uh, the the Cervelli cigars I'm now calling that whole thing is there any other kind of uh story that you have along those lines of like something with opposing players or somebody on your own team uh where going like something that happened in your career that later on you guys reminisce about and kind of make peace about later on yeah I guess you know in recent memory the um First blown save last year to the to the Rays, right? <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joey Wendell hit that home run off me. He crushed it. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't even bring it up. Richard Blyer's when I brought it up. Of course he would. <laughs> of course, of course. Likes to stir the pot. And there was um, there was a game we were standing in the dugout together, and someone threw like a down and change up to a lefty. And our lefty, I think, might have hit a home run on it or hit a double, roped a double. And I looked at, at Joey and I said, I guess, I guess down and in changeups, they don't play at this level, huh? And he just started laughing because that's the pitch he took, took deep off me. <laughs> uh, he's a great dude. Um, really glad he's on the Marlins. He's a great player, even better person. Uh, hoping uh, for a speedy recovery for him so he can get back here soon. All right. And I think I want to wrap up with uh... – you got to throw in, uh, another guy under the bus, I think. Uh, who's the who's the uh, you already said Richard Blyer is the, the it's the one to stir the pot in the bullpen. Okay. But oh, yeah. Are there any times where guys have played practical dro- practical jokes on each other out in the bullpen? You got any good uh, let me, stories? I know. I know it happens a lot in the clubhouse. Guys like to play jokes at other guys. Um, for example, I guess 
Joey Wendell likes to chew sugar-free gum. So someone yesterday, maybe it was Luke Williams, was grabbing every piece of sugar-free gum he could find in the clubhouse. And he, he brings a backpack to the field. And he filled up his entire backpack with sugar-free gum. I remember that. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask him about that tomorrow. Yeah, All yeah. right. Is there anything else you want to share before we finish up here with the fans, with the, with anybody around? Yeah. Any well, message you have? First off, Noah, uh, thank you for having me on here. It's been great talking to Marlins baseball. And I know, I know our record right now isn't ideal. It's not where we all want it to be. Um, but do know that we're putting in the work behind the scenes and we all want to win. That's why we're here. Um, stay with us. Keep supporting us. Keep coming out to the ballpark. Because when we go out on the field, we're giving you everything we have. And we know eventually uh, the ups and downs of this year, uh, especially right now, the downs, not winning as many games as we like, we'll, we'll turn around, um, hopefully sooner than later. So we can make some moves and, and put ourselves in a good position to, uh, you know, dance in October. That's, that's everyone's game plan and mindset with the Marlins. And uh, we know that it can be frustrating being a fan of the Marlins at times, but do know that our, our theme common theme as a group is, is to win. So thanks again for having me and uh, go Marlins. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been the water relief podcast on the fist stripes podcast channel. We'll be back at some point in your future with someone else from the bullpen. Thank you.